Hello and welcome to the Tree City Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Baker. I'm here with my co-host, Graham Moen. Yeah! And today, it's just not the same without you yelling in the background at the beginning. You know, we got it's just, it's just what we do now. Yeah. Um, today, we've got a NBA draft preview for you guys, as promised last time we podcasted. Yeah! The NBA draft is Thursday night. This will go up Wednesday morning. So, basically... With this draft, there are so many rumors as always, but I think what makes this draft unique is that there's a good, you know, 8 to 10 really, really good players available in this draft, or at least really, really good prospects, You should, I would say. Yeah. So I think it's a deeper top 10 than normal, so I think there's so many guys that all these teams are going to consider that I think... We really have. We never really know where players are going to go in the draft ahead of time. But I think this year there's just so much uncertainty after the number one pick, which is going to be DeAndre Ayton of Arizona going to Phoenix. Which you know it's conveniently interesting, convenient little trip for him. Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Right. Uh, they're not going to be good on defense, but they never are. So no, who but cares? that pick and roll will be fun. Yeah. So. Basically, we're not going to try and give you guys like a mock draft or an analysis of what players should go to what team. It would also take way too Beca- long. Yeah, because we're going to be able to react to the entire draft with our next podcast once the draft is over. So what we're going to do today is discuss a couple key points as to players that could change the course of the draft. And we're also going to discuss who we think the main options are for the Cavs at 8. And we're going to discuss our philosophies for how we think the Cavs should handle the draft with the options they have on the table. So, Graham, what do you think the first kind of breaking point is for this draft? I think it's a fairly obvious one. Yeah, well, like Andrew said, there's a couple fulcrums in this draft where you're really going to determine... Uh, what's going to happen throughout the rest of the draft. The next one, after we most likely probably 95% chance DeAndre Ayton goes number one to Phoenix, is uh, Luka Doncic from uh, Slovenia, who played for Real Madrid this past year, 19 years old. But honestly, probably played competition similar to what college, probably even better than what these college athletes are facing. He was playing in the top league in Europe. He won EuroLeague MVP, and he was even playing this weekend, hit a crazy one-foot three-pointer. Uh, his shot comes and goes, but that's not the point. Point is, Luka Doncic is the next big guy up on the uh, on the draft list, and he could go as high as number two to uh, the Phoenix, not the Phoenix Suns, the Sacramento Kings. But if Sacramento doesn't take him, but it's the Kings, yeah. so who knows? And if they don't take him, that's going to create a huge ripple effect for the rest of the draft because then those teams at like Atlanta at three and Memphis at four are going to really have to have some serious pause because. If I were them, I would probably assume that, okay, Doncic is the second best player in this draft. I would assume he's going to go second, and that's probably most of the scenarios they've played out. But if he doesn't go second, do they have to throw out the rest of their draft plans where they're like, okay, we were probably going to take a certain player, three or four. But if he keeps falling to us, we have no choice but to take him because his talent as a playmaker and as a creator of his own shot Again, his three-point shots hit or miss, but he's a good passer. He's tall. He's le- he's lengthy, and he played it against top competition. Fierce competitor. Yeah, where he's going to go is going to be very important 
for not only for his career and long term, but for this draft, it's going to determine and shape the rest of the top ten because he if he doesn't go two, and someone else goes number two, that's going to push good players one spot down the board, and that's going to help those teams get a player they might not have gotten had they just gone chalk and take Luke, take taken Luka Doncic at number two. Yeah, Doncic has been presumed to be an uh, extremely high draft pick whenever he came out of Europe for a number of years, and I'm, you know, you and I are both definitely amateur evaluators. We're not professional scouts. Yeah, I'm more but NFL than NBA. I'm also yeah. failing to understand why exactly there's even any question as to whether Doncic goes number two. It's the European stigma. I mean, obviously, part of the reason that there's question here is that the Kings are number two, and no one ever knows what the hell the Kings are doing. And I don't think the Kings know what the hell they're doing either. When's the last time they took a good player? Yeah, they don't. They don't, they don't really do that. That's I mean, they haven't really had a thing. good player Demarcus since Cousins, Chris Webber. Yeah, but they haven't had a good like stalwart player since like Chris Webber. Yeah, that's the whole thing with the Kings too. Is you just don't know what they're going to do, and they could throw a monkey wrench in the whole draft. But they're the Browns to me, of the NBA. Yeah, they are. Except. There's not really an except, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, Doncic, to me, as an amateur scout like I am, again, not a professional, but even if you read like most of the guys that write and watch tape for a living, it doesn't seem to be any debate at all among the majority of people that Luka Doncic is far and above at least the second, maybe the best player in the draft. Yeah, he should make, a lot of people so, have the argument for him going one. I think I don't really understand why he's polarizing. There's a thought that a lot of European wings haven't been successful in the NBA because they're not as athletic. Europeans in general. But Luka Doncic is just turned 19. He's dominating Europe, the and, highest division and, and, in Europe. And, and yeah, and he's doing things that are extremely uncommon and almost unheard of for a player his age. And the upside's there, especially when you come into the NBA and you start training in the NBA system. Your athleticism is going to improve. So I don't really understand why he's not going to go number two. That's but, the biggest knock on him, though, is but, his athleticism. He's not known yeah. to be very fast or agile, so I think that's where a lot of people have pause on him if they're going to pick holes at him. But I feel like it people overthink it so much that they're yeah. like, they start poking holes, and I'm like, okay, stop finding things that are, aren't there. Luka Doncic is... If not the best player in the draft, second best player in the draft. Just take him and yeah, figure and, out the you know, rest. And plus, the most important thing in the NBA right now is like playmaking wings. And that's what he is. And I think if you look at the rest of the top ten, the majority of the other top prospects in this draft are, are big men. Big men and point guards. And there's guards. a lot of good – yeah, there's a lot of good players. But I just think that – but you're right though. It's Doncic is definitely the fulcrum of this draft early because – if he doesn't go two, then I think immediately trades start to be in play. I think there could be a trade with number two even. You don't rule anything out. but Yeah, Sacramento has been rumors of them trading down. Doncic is not going to go past five. and It would be borderline shocking if he went that low. If but, Dallas but got him at five? The, the, the point is with Doncic, every pick he slips down one just increases the chance of a trade. And I think... There are so many teams that would absolutely love to have him. If he falls to like four or five, there's a really, really good chance of a team training up. And that's not to say that you know the teams picking three, four, five wouldn't just take him and be happy with it. But I think he's definitely the first fulcrum of the draft. I think there's one other guy that 
you know, we're going to discuss here that's kind of different. And, and not to say that the other guys in the top 10, like Mo Bamba, who's a big man, Jaron Jackson, Marvin Bagley, those guys Wendell aren't. Carter. Those guys, Wendell Carter, those guys aren't the same players as, as each other, but they're all kind of big men. And a lot of these teams have a need for a big man. So it's kind of the wings that are really going to determine, you know, what type of trades are made in this draft. So like Michael Porter Jr. is another really polarizing guy. And I think for good reason, he has had, he had a back injury last year and missed almost all of his entire freshman season. And he probably shouldn't have even come back and played. At the right. The he played two games and didn't look like himself. It honestly may have hurt him more than helped. He him. was basically the consensus top three pick coming into the year. Didn't, yeah. He was the number was one hurt. player in high school. Right. He was hurt. Didn't really play. And you know, now he's got even maybe a hip concern. I think he's a guy with really big upside but he's also got such massive downside due to that injury risk. So I think those two guys are kind of, like you said, the fulcrums of you know what trades could be made, what kind of wild things are going to happen. Or if those guys go a little earlier, it could be more of a chalk type of draft. So Yeah, I mean, because if, let's say, Luka Doncic dro- drops down the board because Michael Porter Jr. goes number two to the Sacramento Kings, that throws a wrench into a lot of teams' plans. Because some of those teams, a lot of those teams are expecting him to fall because of the injury concerns. But if Sacramento or a team that trades with Sacramento really believes he's the second best player in the draft, which he, in high school, he was definitely showing that. He performed at high levels in the big all-star games for high school players. He's 6'10". He can handle the ball pretty well. He's a scorer. He kind of reminds me of Jabari Parker in that aspect. And the fact that he probably is more of a power forward than a small forward because his, his athleticism isn't there. And there's also the injury concerns like there were with Jabari Parker. But, um, yeah, he's going to be a big fulcrum in the draft too because if he goes before Doncic, that's going to move Doncic down the board, but that'll also move down, like Andrew said, the Jaron Jacksons, the Marvin Bagleys, all the, these other big men in the draft that people are like, oh, there's a bunch of big men. We have to take that wing player now because the wings in this draft are not as plentiful. So... This all boils down to, we think there's, you never know what could happen in a draft, and we're not going to try and predict trades because it's an impossible thing to do. Yeah, we could do fake trades all we want, but it's hard. Right, and we can discuss trades that do happen after the draft. But we think there's pretty much four guys that are by far the four most likely options for the Cavs. So the Cavs are at eight, which is... A pretty good spot to be in, considering there's about 10-ish really good players in this draft. So the Cavs are going to have their pick of, you know, several really, really good-looking players. And the Cavs are in a tough position in one sense, and that's the kind of the elephant in the room here, is that the Cavs don't know if LeBron's coming back or going. And the Cavs pretty much have to make this pick and try to make the pick so that it's a successful pick, whether LeBron's comes back whether LeBron leaves, whether I have to trade the player at some point. So I think the Cavs, the Cavs just have to pick the player they like best and not worry about what position he plays or what his trade value would be. I think since there's so much uncertainty about what the future of the Cavs is going to be, I think the Cavs have to go, okay, we're picking the best player. Position doesn't matter. Just it's basically pick, like pick ha- him. not having. It's basically like you don't have LeBron. You like you have to pick the best player available and just go from there. And then if LeBron comes back, then you go from there. But I think if you just pick the best player available without having to think about fit 
for how he would fit next to LeBron or how he would fit outside of LeBron. I think you just take the best player available, like you said. Are there, are there certain needs that the Cavs could have better that could help the Cavs in the near future? Yes, they could use a better point guard. They the could Cavs use some more wings. The Cavs don't need a power forward right now. Yeah, they don't need a power forward but, and maybe a small forward. Right, but if LeBron if LeBron leaves... They need everything except a power then forward. Then Kevin Lowe's probably going to get traded, and then if they did draft a power forward, then okay, there's a spot for him to play. Or if LeBron comes back, there's a good chance the pick is getting traded. So that's that's our whole point here is that the Cavs basically just have to pick the best player available. I think... And we have like four I, players. I think the Cavs have a chance to get into a lot of trouble if they try to make moves based off what they think is going to happen this summer with LeBron, with other teams, et cetera, et cetera. Because if the Cavs try and pick a certain player for reasons other than he's the best player available, they could really regret not getting their guy. So looking at the draft board, Aiton's going to be gone. He's going number one. We discussed Doncic. He's going to be gone. I think the lowest he goes is like four. Right. Mohamed Bamba is going to be gone. The lowest he goes is five. Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be gone. He'll be a top four pick. Marvin Bagley is going to be gone. He'll be gone, yeah. The options for the Cavs are going to be whoever falls between... So So the Cavs are at eight, and we're now discussing players six through nine, basically, and where we think they're going to go. Um, Michael Porter Jr., who we discussed previously, kind of a high upside scoring guy, but does have injury concerns. Could go as high as two, could go as low as the Cavs pick. Yeah, or even... Or below you the know, Cavs with, pick. When a guy like that has major, major injury concerns, there's a chance that he gets red, red flagged by a lot of teams and slips. Yeah, um, I mean, the Clippers, he could potentially even be there for the Clippers at 12, depending on how his medicals go. You see, that would be a shock, but you again... With injuries, especially a back injury for an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, you just don't know. Um, but he is an option for the Cavs, depending on how yeah, the medicals go. I think if he's there at 8, there's a really, really significant chance the Cavs pick him. Just you got to be- think about it. Just because of the upside that would be present. I, I personally, what's your opinion about Porter Jr.? I'm personally not a huge fan. I mean... He, like I said, he reminds me of Jabari Parker. The problem is we just have seen him play almost nothing since high school. Yeah. And there's only so much you can glean from watching high school film. So he's just kind of like a blank canvas of talent where you know he can score. We don't really think he can pass. We don't really think he can defend. His handles are okay. He he could probably be an average defender. Like he, I said. He's not super quick. He's mostly just kind of like an athletic scoring type of talent. But he's just so raw we don't really know what type of player he's going to become. I mean, he could be like a Carmelo Anthony type player, potentially, where he's just a go-to scorer and not much else, because that's what Carmelo ended up being a lot of his that career. That said, if you pick Carmelo Anthony in the lottery, you're doing pretty good. Yeah, if you pick Carmelo at eight. Right. But, again, back concerns for Carmelo. Yeah. Similar things at the end of his career. So maybe taking a wing with back issues, especially a wing that's 19 years old, almost 20, that's a serious issue. So yeah, Michael I mean, Porter, I think, I think there'll be discussions about Right, it. I think that's the thing is, the Cavs not only are going to have to pick which position they want to pick, which, like we had said, I just don't think you worry about position right now. I think no. you pick best player available. But the Cavs are going to have to weigh, do they want to gamble on Porter Jr. if he is there, which there's a significant chance he's gone. But if he is there, they're going to have to consider that. Well, or they do they go with a really safe player? The next player who is uh, you know, possibly going to be there at 8, there's a good chance he's gone, good chance he's there at 8 is Wendell Carter from Duke. I think he'll be there. Now, Wendell Carter is 
pretty much the exact opposite of Porter Jr., where he doesn't have injury concerns, he's not a big-time scorer, he's not ultra-athletic. But, you know, he does have a fair amount of athleticism. He's a good passer. He's a good rebounder. He's got. He's kind of like an Al Horford type of player. He's gotten that comp a lot, and, and I, I don't think it's like. Fair. The, I don't like the scoring thing about him though, because the reason he didn't score as much at Duke is because he was playing next to Marvin Bagley, and when Marvin Bagley was out with injury for points during the year, he was scoring more, but he only took more than ten shots like five or six times throughout the entire season. I think he has that scoring ability. I'm not saying he'd be an elite like twenty to twenty five points a game guy. But he could give you 16 to 18 a night and get you 7 or 8 rebounds. The Horford comparison is a good one because he has that athletic ability to be able to play as a defender in that area. I don't know if he'd be the same rim protector that Al Horford's become, but he kind of developed that over time. He he didn't really have that when he was with Atlanta. Yeah, Wendell Carter. I think Wendell Carter is a really advanced player mentally for being only 19 years old and yeah. just having turned 19. I think... If I could have my pick of any of the players available, I think... I like him a lot. <laughs> excuse me. Realistically available, I should say. Obviously, I'd love for Luka Doncic to be there at 8, but no. That's not going to happen. I think Wendell Carter is probably the best pick in my mind, and that's because he's not going to be bad. He's a versatile player. I don't player. think he'll fail. So if LeBron comes back, there's a chance that you keep him because the Cavs... We need big men. If LeBron does come back, are sorely lacking two things. Well, three things, really. They're lacking perimeter scoring, which good luck finding that. They're, they're well, we'll lack- talk about that. We'll talk right, about that. Right, right. They're lacking, uh, you know, kind of an anchor defensively down low, and they're anch- lacking basketball IQ. And he checks two of those bo- boxes. But if LeBron goes, and Wendell Carter is the type of guy who's versatile enough that he can play with almost anyone else. And I think having a guy like him who's who's young to develop, would really help the development of other young players. Because, like you said at Duke, Wendell Card can score. He can score. But at Duke, that wasn't the best role for him. And so it's he because didn't score Marvin as much. Bagley reclassified and went into the same class as him. It was right. Marvin Bagley was initially supposed to be, for those of you who don't know, players can reclassify based on certain things that they graduate in time. So Marvin Bagley was supposed to be in 2019 playing at Duke. Instead, in 2017-18, he was playing at Duke with Wendell Carter. Wendell Carter was supposed to have that front court to himself but when you're playing those two guys it makes it hard because Marvin Bagley is a very good scorer good rebounder he takes some of those statistics and those opportunities away from Wendell Carter yeah so I think Carter could be the best pick he's definitely the safest pick I don't think he'll fail I think I think right now unless there's a player that the Cavs just absolutely love that is at eight if Carter is there I think he's a great pick because right now the Cavs need safe because the Cavs need – they have to straddle this fence of are we rebuilding or are we contending? And I think the best way to do that would be Carter. And, again, even if you are going to rebuild, he's still a really, really good young piece. You could use offense at the big man position right. besides Kevin Love. The next player who is kind of like Porter Jr. in the sense that he's extremely polarizing – but not because of injury issues, is Trey Young, point guard from Oklahoma. Trey Young led the nation, I believe, in points and assists. He did. Which is... But he also went down a lot in the second half. Right. So Trey Young, just to educate anyone listening briefly, is short. He doesn't play defense. He can't really play defense. But he shoots 
He has incredible range. That's why people. That's why he gets the Steph Curry comparison. And he has incredible passing ability. He also turns the ball over and takes bad shots. Basically, Trey Young is kind of a dynamo of a player in the sense that he did everything on the offensive end for his team, Oklahoma, because Oklahoma didn't have a lot of talent. So basically, Trey Young was out there just doing everything: shooting, passing, scoring. So sometimes he took bad shots. Sometimes he had an incredible heat check game where he scored 40 points. And no one else was playing well, so by the second half of the year, when teams adjusted to him, he struggled because he was getting double teamed, he was getting trapped, all these things. He's probably, out of the prospects we're going to talk about, him and Porter Jr. have the highest ceilings but the lowest floors. Because Trey Young could be Steph Curry, or he could be... Jimmer Fredette. Jimmer Fredette, or... But but even Jimmer Fredette, it's like... You know, he could be better than Jimmy. I think Trey Young. He could be Jeremy Lin. Right. I think Trey Young kind of gets classified as this as this Steph Curry type of shooter because honestly, that's what excites people. Well, his but, range is similar. But to if that. you look at Trey, exactly, he has similar range as Steph Curry. We're not saying he is Steph Curry because no one is, but he's got that type of unbelievable range where he can just dribble back and just chuck it from anywhere, yeah, and he's got a chance it's going in. But you know, he's also. A really good passer. He's not a really good decision maker in that he has a lot of turnovers, but it's kind of hard to decide whether a lot of those turnovers are because he made a bad choice or because he has to force the issue because he doesn't have a lot of talent around him. I think it's a little bit of both. I would agree. So I think ultimately Trey Young's a really polarizing guy in a sense, but if the Cavs get him at eight, I think you have to be pretty happy just because the upside is there. And I do think the downside is still a guy who can knock down shot, catch and shoot. He's going to be an absolute knockdown shooter. He's going to be a good passer. His playmaking is going to develop. He may be a sieve on defense his whole career. He but probably will be. with the talent he has on offense, I do think you can live with that. It's just the problem is the NBA right now is all about switching and about length. And that's the one thing that Trey Young doesn't really fit into in the modern NBA. But Well, I think a lot of point guards nowadays for the most part, are not good defenders. You look at most of the best point guards in the NBA, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, uh, Russell Westbrook's not a great defender, James Harden is a de facto point guard. He's not a great defender. A lot of point guards nowadays end up being the targets of these switch defenses. You saw it in the playoffs a bunch with the Cavs going after Steph Curry, the Cavs going after Terry Rozier, all of these different things happening. So I think you can live with a uh, point guard being a little bit of a sieve on the defensive end as long as you can have a coach that builds an offense and a defense around that, being able to hide them. And I think Trey Young also could be maybe one of the two players in this draft that if you draft him, maybe you don't have to trade that pick because he could be a number three option for you or like a three and a half option if you get another vet- veteran. It, let's say LeBron stays and you get him. He could be that third scorer or that sixth man off the bench that really ignites you early in his career. And then for the long term, LeBron helps bring him along or whoever is there helps bring him along. And then maybe he gets better and becomes a more consistent like number two option from there. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, Steph Curry and Damian Lillard, a lot of those guys you mentioned, definitely not Russell Westbrook, but like Curry and Damian Lillard have started off as horrible defenders and turned themselves into Probably below average defenders. Think of other point guards. Curry might even be average on defense. Reggie but, Jackson. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, <laughs> Reggie Jackson's not good at anything. But, a lot of my point is a um, lot of point guards nowadays are not great defenders. So having a point guard that's not a great right. defender is going to kill. I you. do think you can coach technique, and and to a degree you can kind of coach effort. 
The problem with Trey Young is he's just so small. He's, yeah. He's even two inches shorter than, like, Steph Curry. And we think of Steph Curry as tiny in the He'd NBA. He'd be like but, Terry Rozier. He'd get beat right, up a lot. For sure. But I do think just the offensive upside is so massive that I think he's well worth a pick in this range. The last guy we're considering, or we think the Cavs are going to consider, is Colin Sexton from Alabama. Very different style from Trey Young. He's just as small as Trey Young. He's also 6'2". He does have a little bit longer wingspan, so he's not quite as deficiency. He's a on much defense. better defender. He's a much better defender. He Colin Sexton is kind of like basically he's a attacking tenacious offensive player. I've heard the comparison from being Patrick Beverly. He also takes kind of a lot of bad shots, but as well, kind of like similar to Trey Young, he was by far the best player in his own team. Yeah, Alabama and sho- had nothing. And he shouldered a massive offensive load. I think listening to rumors, you know, right now, a lot of people have said that the Cavs are favoring Colin Sexton with their pick unless someone they don't expect to fall falls. Apparently, and this is not confirmed, but this is what the internet says, so you have to believe it. Talking about the secret workout? Apparently, LeBron loves Colin Sexton. But, again, if the Cavs are picking based off who LeBron wants, they're not doing their job. I didn't work the last time because Miami picked Shabazz Napier when he said when LeBron said he loved him. Yeah, we, d- we just don't know if LeBron's staying or going. So the Cavs can't make a pick based off what LeBron no, thinks. You gotta, but, PA. that said, I do think Colin Sexton is a legitimate, you know, player if they do pick him at eight um he has massive upside he's still young i mean he's only 19 he could he get better as a shooter i think shooting is something you can coach a lot easier than defensive effort and stuff like that And he already has that really good defensive intensity he could be one of the better perimeter defenders as a point guard at some point if he turns into marcus smart is that a bad thing except he's got more offensive talent right so if he's a little bit if he's marcus smart but with better offensive skills is that a bad thing cuz marcus smart's no. one of the is a very useful player on a championship contender yeah so i think looking at those four guys i think there's probably a 90% chance it's one of those four guys those are the, those are if you if you go with the top 5 we said are going to be gone and then those four there's a good chance that two of those four will be available and the cats can have their pick so Porter Jr. is most likely of these players to be gone, I'd say. He's got massive upside, massive injury downside. Trey Young has massive offensive upside, but it's probably going to be a very bad defender. Wendell Carter Jr. is a very, very safe pick. He's the safest. He's going to be a little bit, a little, you know, kind of good at everything, but probably definitely not a future uh, superstar. He won't have elite skills. And then Colin Sexton's kind of a guy you're looking at who he's a tenacious player. You're banking on character and you're banking on improved decision making and improved shooting. Like, what do you think is the worst thing that comes out of Colin Sexton? Like Patrick Beverly? Yeah. And that's not bad. No. But I mean, at the same time, there's not that many risks. There's risks with Porter Jr. and Young. Sexton and Carter are a little bit safer in terms of you know you're going to get a productive NBA player out of yeah, them. Yeah, I would agree. But I think we both like Carter a lot. And if yeah, he I was think, there and that's what was available to us, that'd be a pretty good pick. For I Cavs. think if Porter Jr. is there, the Cavs probably have to take him just because of the upside. But I'm, it's just he just scares me, man. This The massive injury concerns just scare me. And I think, I think if people considered Porter Jr. to be more of an all-around fantastic talent, that would more than make up for it. But... You know, and it's it's tough to nitpick guys who are 19, 20 years old. But, you know, I don't think Porter Jr. has shown a lot of defensive upside or, you know, a lot of rebounding upside. Again, he's barely played, but these are what the Sky Report say. So I just think, 
I'd be a lot more comfortable taking Carter Jr., Trey Young, or Sexton, but if they take Porter, I get it because of the upside. You know, Carter Jr. is the safest pick, but... And would give the Cavs an upgrade, even if, Le- right. if LeBron stays and they decide to keep him. He upgrades yep. the front court pretty, yep. pretty well. Yep, true. I think I think Carter Jr. is the player that if they took him, I'd be like, okay, cool, good player. I think out of those four players, but, I would prefer Carter first, then Trey Young, then it's probably a tie between Colin Sexton and Michael Porter. I think I'd probably prefer Trey Young just because, you know, like you said, if LeBron comes back, a lot of teams like Trey Young, so you could trade him, or he could be, you know, shooting is always valuable when LeBron's around. And we need to upgrade at the point guard position. Exactly. And the Cavs, whether or not, if LeBron stays or goes, the Cavs don't have any real talent at point guard at this point. With jo- shocking. With George Hill and Jordan Clarkson yeah. clearly being, I think, both, you know, mid-rotation bench player at this point. Like George, George Hill, is George Hill could be a starter, but he's not making plays for you. Like if he was our backup or he was the starter helping run the offense and then Trey Young comes off the bench to run as the sixth man, be good. Right. I think they would complement each other well because of Hill's still good as a defensive end, but a sieve now on offense. Right. And it's the exact opposite for Trey Young. Not a great defender at all. Good offensive talent. Well, either way, George Hill's probably not going to be with the Cavs for a long, long time. No. At most so I, I, I think... The Cavs are in a situation here where, obviously, draft picks are never guaranteed to be, you know, a good player. Never very guaranteed. Few, very few but that are guaranteed. But I do think the Cavs are in a position with the eighth pick where there's a lot of really, really good players available, and the assumption is they're going to take one of them. And I, you know, I'm not really going to be upset with whoever the Cavs pick unless it's someone that we haven't even discussed because it's someone that we have further down our boards. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of them that are big swings and a couple of them that are just kind of safe picks like if you're if you want to swing for the fences you're taking trey young or michael porter jr if you want to play it safe you're taking probably wendell carter and if you're going somewhere in between you're going colin sexton yep now there is one thing that would upset me if the Cavs did which i don't think that sentence was really worded properly but you get the point you got it if the Cavs make a trade that hurts their flexibility going forward i'll say i'll word it like that that would really bother me because, like we mentioned, and like everyone knows, the Cavs are in a situation right now where they don't know if LeBron's going or staying. If LeBron comes back, you're contending for a title. If LeBron leaves, you're hopefully going into a full rebuild. I say hopefully because I would not put it past Dan Gilbert to pretend the Cavs can make a playoff run without LeBron. This you year. better tank if LeBron leaves. If LeBron goes, you better say, you better say get rid of Kevin Love. Tank. See if you can get anything for George Hill, which probably not. Dump the veterans. Blow it up. Yes. Blow it up. Because. Blow, yes. If LeBron leaves, you've got a tank. Because the first round picks, which I don't know if we talked about in the last podcast, but the next two years, our first round picks after this year are only one through ten protected. What that means is the Cavs traded a draft pick. But if it's in the top ten the next two years. Keep them. The Cavs keep that pick and it becomes. And it becomes. Uh, a second round pick in the future. So basically, they need you know, to suck if LeBron yeah, leaves. They can't be in this middle area. The Cavs just cannot be in a situation where they make a trade now that begins the rebuild or that assumes LeBron's coming back because they these are two vastly different paths based off the decision of one man. And it may be inconvenient to not know where he's going before the draft. But he's one of the best players in the history of the NBA, if not the best. You almost wish the draft was after free agency. Yeah, if LeBron 
decides to come back, that's awesome. It really is. But if he decides to go, you have to be prepared for that scenario too. So my number one thing for the Cavs is take the guy you like the best and don't sacrifice any flexibility by trading for veterans now or by getting rid of veterans right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, we had a little bit of a talk about this before the podcast, and we could, this podcast would be too long if I got into my side of it. My side is get the best, best assets you possibly can, and then if you have to trade them, you can get a better asset than you would get. But at the same time, Andrew makes a good point. You have to be able to – you're straddling being potentially one of the best teams in the league and being one of the worst teams in the league. It's like Schrodinger's cat. Is it – it, you can look in the box and you can assume it's dead or alive. The Cavs are dead or alive right now. The Cavs, if they get LeBron back, they're immediately a top four team in the NBA. If they lose him, you better get rid of every asset you have and tank. And tank hard. Every, like six every, or, every, every short-term asset you have. Yes. Yeah, like Sixer-style tank. You better tank and get all of these picks. Because if you are just bad enough to get the 11th or 12th pick and you lose those picks, those picks could still become either starters or valuable bench pieces, and you lose those pieces because you decided we want to be mediocre. And mediocre in the NBA is the worst place you can be. You need to either suck or you need to be in contention. Yeah, I think, you know, apparently the Cavs are considering making a lot of trades right now, which worries me because, A, anything involving Dan Gilbert worries me. And, B, I just think the Cavs could really hurt themselves by making a move assuming one thing or another right now. But, look, if there's a no-brainer trade – that keeps you flexible moving forward, then the Cavs have to make it. But otherwise, I think they have to be really disciplined and stay pat, pick the guy they like, and assess all this going forward. But you know what? I'm really, really interested to see who the Cavs pick because I think that LeBron probably is gone. I'm not assuming it, but I think, you know, obviously most of us probably believe that he is gone. I'm assuming it. So at this point, if he comes back for me, it's kind of icing. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, We'll get into that (laughs) When we talk free agency preview and stuff, yep. but I'm I'm really interested to see, to see who the Cavs pick. I think especially because you know number eight typically isn't a position where you say there are a lot of really really good players available. But honestly, the last two drafts you know, have been that this, way. This this draft is really deep in the top ten, and I think the Cavs have a chance to get a really really good player. And the guys that we've discussed that are probably going to be available for them at eight are just so vastly different in terms of what type of players they are, upsides and downsides. I'm just really, really interested to see who Imagine the Cavs get. Imagine if we get. had eight last year. We could have taken Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, you can always – you can look back <laughs> at any draft and say, if we would have picked this guy here – That's everyone's favorite yeah. person to say, we sh- if we had picked Donovan Mitchell. Hey, Graham, who's this, who's this year's Donovan Mitchell? There isn't one because okay, exactly. Donovan Mitchell is a there – there are very few years where a player comes out being drafted lower than he was supposed to and becomes an instant impact player yeah. like Donovan Mitchell was. Yep. You can't – if you expect to find the next Donovan Mitchell, it's like people in the NFL who were trying to find the next Dak Prescott. Yeah. He came, went in the fourth round for reasons no one knows. Donovan Mitchell went late in the, in the lottery for reasons no one knows. And they both ended up being very good players at their respective sports. But at the same time, you can't go hunting for that or you're going to end up finding a disappointment. Because no player is the next Donovan Mitchell. No player is the next Dak Prescott. That said, the Cavs are in a position where they can get a really good player. And I think who they pick you know, says a lot about the team, considering who's going to be available. There could be a lot of trades. There yeah. could be a lot of crazy stuff happen. We have no idea. And that's, Kawhi gets moved on and that's, the that's the, that's the most day. fun part about the draft, is that yeah. we have no idea what's going to happen. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, expect us back 
within a day or two of the draft being done. Because once the draft is done, we're going to have a whole lot of things to discuss in terms of the futures of certain teams, in terms of whatever trades were done. It's going to be fascinating. Also, uh, Graham and our mutual friend Olam have started another kind of branch of the Tree C Sports podcast called the Red and Blue podcast, uh, referring to soccer teams, the Premier League. So right now, they're going to get into Premier League, I think, at a later date. But yeah, right, when the season starts. Yeah, well. right now, World Cup is obviously the big deal in soccer. There are a lot of big upsets in the World Cup. Yeah, I, I think I think you guys starting off by talking World Cup is a great way to start off a soccer podcast because, let's be honest, in America, that's what the majority of people care about, even if the United States isn't in it. So, Especially after the big Mexico victory yep, over Germany. Be checking out for our... Post-draft podcast, plus a bunch more podcasts about basketball this summer. Also, check out the uh, Red and Blue World Cup podcast. Yeah. Until then, uh, like we always say, we really appreciate any listeners. We really appreciate any feedback. Feel free to rate us five stars and write that we're the greatest podcast ever on the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcast. That would be cool. Just a suggestion. Yes. Check out TreeCityRecords.com. That's kind of our host group. Uh, we're actually kind of going to tease one more podcast here. We're probably going to have at some point this summer when the NBA kind of slows down, kind of some cool interviews with some of the members of Tree City Records. That way you guys can kind of connect voices and personalities to the website we're always putting out there. And as you know, there's always slow parts of a sports offseason or season, and me and Andrew are just not about putting out podcasts with very slow news topics. We're not going like to talk that. just to talk. Yeah, so we want to, while we are um, primarily a sports podcast, we also want to be able to discuss other topics like music or pop culture or food or whatever interests us at yep. that point. So expect, like Andrew said, expect those. I like food a lot. Oh, we could have food podcasts. That'd be fun. Anyways, check out the next podcast. It'll be out soon. Check out the World Cup podcast. Those will be out soon. Thanks for listening. Peace.